My name is Dr. Tram Jones, and since 2019, my wife and I have been living in Haiti. This is the story of our life there and the patients we've seen. Today on the podcast, we're going to tell the life story of a remarkable Haitian and the organization he built. It's the story of an organization that flies in the face of Haitian and really human expectations. When this man considered starting the organization, he was convinced it would fail, that it wasn't built for Haiti. And yet, in spite of all the misgivings, Young Life Ministries thrived in Haiti. Today, we're going to hear the story of Shea Shea, its founder. As I talked with Shea Shea about his life, you could tell the imprint of his father on his son. Shea Shea was born the second of six children. His father was the director of a school and a pastor in the northeast of Haiti with two missionaries. Eventually, when Shea Shea was still very young, his father spoke with the missionaries and they asked him to move to Port-au-Prince to work in a school in Pechenville. His father took Shea Shea and his brothers and sisters and they moved to the metropolis. Now, I know to an American, these words don't mean much. But Pechenville, when heard by a Haitian, is synonymous with wealth. It is the rich suburb of the capital of Haiti, certainly even richer at that time. This is the opportunity that everyone wants. His father started working, but eventually he had what he described as a call. He felt a calling from God to go work in a little area of Cité Soleil called Simon Pelé. Again, I apologize for the French names that mean nothing to an American. While Pechenville represents the wealthiest of the wealthy in Haiti, Cité Soleil is the poorest of the poor. Initially created as a housing community for sugar workers in the 1970s, it was usually the first place that poor Haitian peasants went when they moved to Port-au-Prince. But as the sugar industry, and for that matter the economy in general, collapsed, the area degenerated into a massive slum. It is now home to some 200,000 to 400,000 residents living in abject, crowded poverty with no sewers and very few latrines. Every inch is ruled by an ever-changing alliance of gangs. It is one of, if not the largest slums in the Western Hemisphere. His father showed up in this environment fresh from Pechenville, but his dad had no way to build a church, no means, and so he prayed. It just so happened that some missionaries had flown to Haiti in 1981 to build a church, but a cyclone had hit the area in which they had planned. So instead, they diverted and spent 15 days building the church for Shea's father. Next, his father set his sights on a school. They knew that education was a major issue in Cité Soleil. It was essentially unaffordable, and it still mostly is. In 1982, he met another American, Mr. Scott, who had a dream to help people in need. They started construction on a school. The first year, they had 50 students, 400 students the next year, 800 the next, and 1,600 by the time of the Haitian earthquake. So far, we have only discussed Shea's father, and this is intentional, because with this story, you can see the echo of his father in Shea's life. While his father was building the church and the school, Shea was growing up, learning from him. He and his sisters went to school in the city, but all of his other siblings went to his father's school in Cité Soleil. 
His father had one rule. He wanted all of his children to spend at least one year working in Cité Soleil with him. Cheche dutifully obeyed. He spent a year teaching. And he loved it, but he had set his sights on something else. He dreamed of becoming a soldier in the Haitian Armed Forces. He tells me, with a little bit of a laugh, that this is one of the first times that God intervened in his life. At that time, in 1995, Haiti was still dealing with the aftermath of a bloody coup d'etat a few years earlier. This was, by my count, Haiti's 27th coup d'etat. Finally, Haiti's president decided that enough was enough. He disbanded the army. It was no more. And now, Cheche was a bit lost. He didn't know what to do. So he decided to enroll in university. Perhaps mechanical engineering would suit him. Certainly, the country needed that. After a year of engineering classes, though, he remembered his time in Cité Soleil. The people, the staff, the love. He sat, and he prayed, and he decided that this was his calling, much like his father. He changed his major to theology and education, and took a job at the school. We should take a moment to describe how Cité Soleil works. I know this is hard to understand for an American, but the only way that an organization works there is with the permission of the gangs. If a school or church is doing good work in the area, the gang boss will often allow them to continue. You or I or any other person could never just walk through Cité Soleil, but if we're with a beloved pastor, we would be protected. It was like this with Cheche and his father. The ministry was flourishing. There were more students. Cheche was a teacher and the head of the youth at the church. Then, in 1999, Cheche had a meeting that would change his life. His father and mother, as well as Mr. Scott and his wife, sat down with him. They wanted to start Young Life in Haiti. Now, many of you may know Young Life. It's a Christian ministry for high school kids. And the central idea is to create a safe, fun place where kids want to go and learn about the gospel. As an aside, when I was in medical school, I was a Young Life leader for several years in Atlanta. Cheche knew the organization indirectly. Some Americans had come to visit Haiti in the past with Young Life, but there was nothing of the sort in Haiti. Timidly, Cheche agreed to go over to the Dominican Republic to meet with Young Life leaders there. The Dominican and Haiti share a border, and the Dominicans had already started Young Life. When they arrived, Cheche and two of his friends met with the leaders. They watched what a Young Life club was. Teens came after school, sang songs, watched skits, and listened to a short devotional. Everything looked great. That is, until the business model was explained. Young Life was a volunteer ministry. Leaders were generally 20-somethings from the neighborhood who led a club, volunteering their time. There was no pay. Cheche thought, I know Haitian culture, and there's no way this flies. A Haitian is not going to mentor children for free. But that's the way the organization was. Cheche was not optimistic as he returned to Haiti. But he took solace from the book of Matthew. He and his friends reminded themselves that all things were possible with God. And they took for their motto, Nukapab, we are able. He started having meetings with potential leaders. A lot of meetings. Everyone was saying no. But finally, after months, he got two young women and a young man to lead clubs. Two in Cité Soleil and one not far. Their first ever club, there were 12 kids. And again with a laugh, he told me he took this as a good sign. He viewed the leaders as the Trinity and the 12 kids as the apostles. 
Now for a moment, in the middle of the story, we can fast forward to the end. Today, there are 113 clubs across Haiti, in every department. There are 520 volunteer leaders who work only for the love of the kids in their communities. But that would be sliding over decades of circumstances that could have snuffed out the dream. In 2000, just one year after Cheche started Young Life, the situation in Cité Soleil deteriorated. The gangs, whose protection was the only reason the school could remain, briefly turned against the church. There was a three-month period where the staff and family had to flee the area. His father, a man of faith, a man who wanted his children to follow in his footsteps, made a painstaking decision. He knew all of their lives were in danger. He wanted all six of his children to leave Haiti and seek a better life. He and his wife would remain. The country was in turmoil. His father bought Cheche and his siblings tickets and visas. The day of departure neared. But Cheche said that he knew in his heart that he still had work to do. He felt called to Haiti. He went to visit his mother, afraid to tell his father this directly. He wanted to stay. Together they went in and told his dad. His father believed the conviction of his son. And the three of them watched together as each of his siblings boarded an aircraft destined for another life. Every one of them now lives in the United States or France. In his faithfulness, leaders were provided for Cheche. He likes to tell stories about them, honestly more than he likes to talk about himself. One of the three current nationwide leaders was a former gang member from Cité Soleil. He had been stabbed in his youth. He went to Cheche's school, but he was not a good kid. One day, he came to club and felt a stirring. That day, he became a Christian, leaving his past behind. A few years later, a club leader was leaving a meeting with kids. As so often happens, two gangs suddenly began to fight in the neighborhood, and he took two bullets to the chest. Everyone assumed he would die and began to mourn. But somehow, after two operations and a month in a Doctors Without Borders hospital, he was back to club in a month. He is now one of the other nationwide leaders. Before we end this podcast, I ask every Haitian about the 2010 earthquake. It is a defining moment in recent Haitian history. Cheche still remembers it vividly. Every Haitian does. He was in the Young Life office, and everything began to shake. He and his friends understood immediately what was happening. They ran out of the office and took stock. Their first thought was for their families. Cheche for his two children and wife. He ran home and found them outside traumatized but alive. That night, they slept out in the street, terrified to return to the buildings, afraid they would collapse on them. He tells me that he will never forget that he had a little water bottle with him. It was all he and his neighbors had. They could not return inside. Throughout the night, as aftershocks rumbled, they all took turns taking a few drops. For the next three months, his family slept in the street, rain or shine, still not trusting their homes. And he started to receive reports. Three Young Life kids had died, one student from his school, but no leaders had passed away, and in spite of everything, Young Life continued. Young Life's growth in Haiti is unlikely, but Shea's story is equally unlikely. By rights, he should be a soldier, or a mechanical engineer, or living the relatively well-heeled life of an American immigrant. He should really be anywhere but leading an organization of volunteer leaders and working in the most dangerous slum in the Western Hemisphere. 
But we can see that both God and his father had plans for him, something that imprinted at a young age. And this imprint was strong enough that even when he was offered a chance out of Haiti, he knew he could not leave. As I finished talking with Shea I asked him why Young Life works in Haiti. He said that there were two reasons. First was God. He said there's no denying this. But second was the love that leaders showed the kids with no personal gain. It is so different. It brings people in, makes them wonder, can love like this exist? And this love is the true hope for Haiti. Thank you for listening. Every Wednesday morning, we publish a new narrative from life here. We are simply telling stories as we have seen them in Haiti. But Haiti is a fascinating country with a rich history, and there are many Haitian voices that can tell the story of Haiti in all its facets, and we encourage you to seek them out. As we made this episode, some names may have been changed to protect confidentiality. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends or give us a rating wherever you find your podcasts. To learn more about the work of Light from Light in Haiti or to get involved, visit us on the web at lightfromlight.me. Thank you and God bless.